Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. This time he was accorded full honors as he came down the 18th. There was no doubt. And ladies and gentlemen, that claret jug tonight won't be filled with champagne, won't be filled with wine, but Diet Coke for a champion never tasted any better. But it's over. The claret jug belongs to Long John Daly. Welcome to Monday Scramble. My name is Rex Hoggard and it is my pleasure to be joined by John Daly, the subject of a recent ESPN 30 for 30. Hit it hard. John, welcome in. Uh, the one thing that struck me is someone who has written about you, told stories about you your entire career. I was taken by the fact that even with an hour-long show, it seems like they just kind of touched the surface. What was your reaction to the show? Well, you know, we filmed a lot more, let's put it that way. Um, I was hoping they would have showed my Boys and Girls Club kids and um, a little bit uh, talked about some of the charity stuff I did. But, you know, I think all in all, it was, you know, it was it was a tearjerker. Uh, Thomas Henderson was awesome. My, my old friend, Donnie Crab, she was great. And, um, you know, kind of wish they would have showed my daughters a little more, but uh, are, you know, at, at their age now. But um, I think people got a perspective of, you know, hey, an athlete, you know, doesn't always um, – not always glamour for for us no matter no matter who we are what we are we're still i put my pants on the same way anybody else does and and i hope that's what people got through to that you know i'm i'm just a human being just like anybody else i'm not i'm not any any more special or any different than anybody else but uh and i think that's why i wanted to share the story to let people realize that hey we all we all make mistakes in life it's how we get through them one of the things i spoke with you earlier this year about in April at Augusta was your son, John Jr. And I think that was one of the best parts about the documentary. You've always connected well with the fans. I want to talk about that, but there were a lot of segments in the documentary showing you and John Jr. And you talked about this earlier this year about how much you connect with John and how much you see in John yourself, don't you? I do. And, you know, um, he's, he, he's just, he's incredible. Like, like my daughters are, you know, it's, it's hard to be, you know, you're blessed when you got three healthy kids, and and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I did I do all the charity that I like to do is because I want them to appreciate how lucky they are. You know that uh, a lot of people are so unfortunate. What what I've seen and what I've gone through with my Make a Wish kids and um, and trying to keep Boys and Girls Club, you know, trying to keep kids off the street and stuff like that. But with Little John, he's 
he's so independent. It's it's amazing how he's 13 years old and and he he's so much more mature than I was at 13 and probably probably more mature than I am now. But uh, you know he's just he's just a great a great kid. I love him to death and and he's passionate about golf. I didn't have to force him to do it. I would never force him. Um, he just loves the game of golf and loves to play. And and to me that's that's you know I'm not one of these fathers that gets involved or anything. I let his coaches do what what they do. I'm just I'm just the dad supporting them, and I think he appreciates that. One of the best lines I thought throughout the documentary was, "quote Fans are my distant family," and we've all kind of known that about you for a long time. The fans are a big part of this documentary. They've been a big part of your life. You have connected with fans maybe better than any other athlete ever in golf outside of Arnold Palmer. Why don't you think that more golfers today connect with fans the way you do? I don't know. I think I think my story's one that I've always been honest with the fans. Uh, I've lost a lot of fans for some of the stupid stuff I've done, and, and, I've, and I've probably gained some fans for, for – just being honest and and not being scared to tell the truth about my life and you know it's it's nice to be I don't know if you can say I'm an athlete maybe I am maybe I'm not but all I do know is there's no skeletons in my closet everything's out everybody knows about John Daly there's not anything they don't know about and to me that's soothing and I think they they relate to it they appreciate it whether it's good or bad they just uh, love I think they gotta love the honesty and and that's what I'm all about. What was your reaction when you finally saw the finished product, when you finally saw the hour-long show? Is there something surreal about having your life boiled down to an hour-long documentary? I think it, I appreciate the love in my life on and now. I appreciate all the people around me that I have now. Nobody has hands out. They're all just good friends. They're, they're like, uh, you know, all the friends I have are so much close to my family and, and me that, you know, they treat me like John. They don't. They don't want anything from me. They're just my friends, and and they love me for John Daly, not not for the golf or not for anything else. And you know, I wish I'd have had that back back then. We ran the opening of the at the opening of the show. We ran the '95 Open at St Andrews, which you won for your second major championship. And there was one interesting line from the documentary that I had never heard from you. And you said it was the first time that you felt like you weren't going to beat yourself; that someone else was going to have to beat you. How many times in your career have you felt that way? I think the only other time was the '92 BC Open when I went up against Phil Mickelson. You know, I ended up winning that by six shots, and I played with Phil and. You know, I just and for St. Andrews, you know, you get if some of us. We get on a golf course that we just love so dearly that, you know, when, when we when we got it going, we just we don't think we're going to lose it. We we think we can get beat, but they're going to have to beat us at my best game. And I think that BC Open and uh, and the British Open in '95, I think that was one of those cases for me. At the end of it, they said that you're going to put Diet Coke inside the Claret Jug. That might be a first in a very long history of that particular championship. But you also maybe some chocolate ice cream. What did go inside the Claret Jug? Probably about 27 scoops of Haagen-Dazs, I think, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, chocolate from the St. Andrews Hotel. It, it might not have been Haagen-Dazs. I just know it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Another part of it that really stood out to me, and, and this is this is one of those tear-jerking moments when you, you were talking with a lot of your friends about the, the very, very difficult times, maybe when you hit rock bottom, and that there was a time when you considered suicide. Can you talk about that and how that affected you and maybe 
afterwards it made you a better person, not just a better golfer, but a better father, a better husband? Well, I think Thomas Innocent and Donnie talked to me off that cliff in 97 was, um, you know, a lot of people probably would have drove off that cliff because they didn't have two, two of the greatest friends that I had at that time. And then, you know, Thomas said the right words, and Donnie did too. You know, it's, it's about your daughters at that time because Little John wasn't born, of course, but uh, it was just made me realize that, hey, I got I to gotta be a father. I got to, you know, I can't do this. And they just said the right things, and they were – just the two great people that uh, in my life that uh, that got me through it. There, there was another episode in the documentary, and I've never heard you talk about this before, but the first time you went to rehab, you said the tour made you go to rehab, and you're not the first one. You won't be the last that the tour has mandated this towards, but the way you sort of sounded it is it sounded as if by the tour forcing you to do this, that you didn't want to do it yourself. And since you weren't all into it, it probably wasn't going to take that time around. Do you kind of look back and see that as something that they made you do and it wasn't something that you were really interested in at that time? Well, the amazing thing was is that, you know, I stayed sober for five and a half years and um, not uh, not wanting to do it. But I did it for five and a half years. And, uh, yeah, I mean, but my, my opening line or something like that in the show was like, you know, you can't make somebody change. Somebody has to change on their own. And, you know, and that's kind of the way I the, the way I looked at it. But, uh, you know, I think I made it harder on myself to try and stay sober by uh, make, letting people tell me how to live my life more than anything instead of me doing it on my own. And you just can't live that way. So you've got to do it on your own. Nobody can make you or make you do this, make you do that. And, uh, so, you know, that's just kind of where it's at. It was a very poignant moment where you, I think the quote was, I wasn't taught success. And it sort of goes across lines now. I mean, obviously, it was a lot for you to take in at a very young age. And there's other athletes who are having to deal with that, just not golfers. Are there any lessons to be learned? I mean, there is no blueprint for success. It was thrust upon you very, very early, and maybe you struggled early in your career with it. What advice would you give a younger player in a similar situation? Beef Johnson immediately comes to mind. I mean, another popular figure who has enjoying a lot of success early that might help them through some of the struggles that you had? Yeah, I think I wouldn't change a thing. I think you got to be honest with the media, with the fans, the people around you. And, and, and for Andrew, he's, he's a good guy. He's one of my best friends out there. And um, just don't let people take advantage of you. I, I let people just walk all over me and including women um, at that time. Uh, that's, that's, that's the key lesson is don't let people walk all over you. There's a lot of hands hands out, you know, and you just you got to say you got to learn to say no to people, and that's something I just couldn't do. And I think for my my advice to Andrew or anybody who's successful, that's kind of a blue collar country guy that you know loves the attention, but which is great because you want the fans on your side, but just be careful and and, and stick with the people that got you there. You know, really, I did it all on my own, so. You know, except for one other guy, Rick Ross, uh, who used to coach me, and we talk every now and then. But um, just just be yourself. Be honest with the fans. Be honest with the media, and just don't don't be forking out cash to people or doing things for people that you don't know and you don't know if you can trust them or not. Along those same lines, and you and I had this conversation in April. Will there be? another John Daly in the future? Because what people don't understand is you were the guy hitting it 300-plus yards back then. Today, everybody does that. But at the time, 
you were the one guy who was different than everyone else. Do you ever see someone like that stepping up on the PGA Tour again? In a way, I hope not. But in a way, I hope they do it and do it a little better than I did it, you know, with all aspects of, of the game. You know, Tiger Woods had it. He had it. His dad taught him. Uh, you know, I'm not very close to my dad. I didn't have that dad figure that could, you know, help me get through that stuff like Tiger's dad did. And, you know, I met Earl and I met his, his mom. And they're just two great people. And, you know, my, I lost my mom in 01. She was my inspiration when things were really bad, and I lost her in 2001. Um, I just hope that, you know, people who go through what I went through, it's, it's, it's awesome to win and all that, but hopefully agents now, I think, have a good aspect and a good, uh, a good way of, of helping people through good times and bad times when they're successful. I think the agents uh, are, if they love their clients like most of them do, I think they'll get them through it. Um, but you just got to have somebody in your corner that you can trust. And, and really at that time, I just didn't have that in my life. I don't think regrets is the right word, and I think I probably asked you this before. I guess maybe the better way of saying it is if you could go back and change anything, what would be the first thing on your to-do list? You know, I don't look at it. I, I just look at where I am now, and, and I think for all the mistakes I've made and all the good things I've done in life that, you know, I think I said it in the show as, as plainly as I could say it. You know, the, the lows can't replace the highs in my life, uh, no matter what. You, you, you can knock me down all you want, but I'm still going to get back up and I'm still going to fight, and I think that's what, hopefully that's what people get out of that show. And the, I know that the lows are a big part of John Daly's life, but the opposite side of that, it seemed like that story didn't get told a lot in that ESPN feature. And again, has a lot to do with they only had an hour, and they probably could have gone six, seven, eight hours on this. But if you look back, what were the highs? I mean, they talked about rock bottom, but where did the absolute highs come, not just on the golf course, but in your personal life? I think seeing my kids being born was the highest any, any, you know, any father could ever or any person could ever leave i mean that seeing all three of my kids born was was the greatest thing that that i've ever seen uh you know of course winning the british open the pga winning the bc open the atlanta bell self classic uh coming back winning an 04 you know but off off the course it's just right now it's just where i am in my life i've got great people around me i got a great woman and anna and you know life couldn't be any better i just wish my golf game was a little better what is the difference, the biggest difference, between 50-year-old John Daly and 25-year-old John Daly? Well, I think the pressure's off to be, you know, for me, it's not like I'm striving to keep my card or be on the regular tour. I'd love to play in a few events, you know. Um, I'm still competitive as hell. You know, I got the PGA and the British for, for quite a few more years. Um, I think just for me, it, it the, the tension's off of, of trying to, trying to be the you know a, a top player in the world I, I just you know i don't have to really worry about that i love the champions tour i know we don't get points and all that for world rankings and stuff like that but you know for me it's just a second job it's a second career I'm, I'm, i love the guys out there they're awesome they're laid back and they're still you still get the uh, adrenaline if you get in the hunt and that's what it's all about for me it's just being competitive and playing golf and Knowing I got a schedule for a few years, it's, it's a pretty awesome feeling. 
Well, we t and again, we talked about this. Do you feel like a rookie? Did you feel like a rookie this year on the Champions Tour? Oh, no doubt. I finally realized how bad my wedge game was. <laughs> you know, I had to put four wedges in there. We don't play the courses that the regular PGA Tour does. They're a lot shorter. Um, and the guys can score on the senior tour. That, that's, that's the amazing thing, how good these guys still are. Going back and looking at from a competitive standpoint over the course of filming this documentary and, and you watching it, was there anything that maybe surprised you, looking at you yourself in 91, maybe at the PGA or in 95? I think truly what a great friend Thomas Henderson has and will be probably for the rest of my life. His, his answers to everything was just so, so incredible, I think. And the way that guy is, what he's been through and put himself through in his life, and, you know, how he's alive is amazing. And I think people always go, how, how did I make it to 50? But if you ever want to read a great book, and the last book I read is Thomas Henderson, Out of Control. That guy went through hell. He put himself through hell. And how he became, or, or the talent that he had in the game of football as a linebacker, how he made it and, and how he did it is, is just uh, phenomenal. Um, you know, I just feel like it's just, you know, we, in life we just make mistakes, we get through it, and we keep on going. That's I think that's just life. I was struck by this in April when you let me sit down with you on your in your van out front of Hooters on Washington Road, and it seems even more so now. Do you have balance in your life maybe more so than you've had up to this point? I wish I had my life in the 90s that I do now. I mean, it's very laid back. It's It's... Yeah, I still get mad on the golf course. There's no telling what I'm going to do. You can't predict what anybody's going to do. But I'm just at peace with myself and my life. Um, you know, like it goes back to my kids being healthy and, and being able to, like I said, to have the schedule that I have that I can, you know, spend time with them and do the things I want to do in my life. And, and you know, golf is golf's kind of second right now. It's it's it, It's a blast to play the Champions Tour, but, more importantly, I want to see my, my son play golf. I want to see him go and compete in tournaments. Uh, I, want to, I want to be there for Thanksgiving and Christmases with my kids. You know, a lot of times I haven't because I've been on the road. Um, and that's kind of where, where it is with me. I'm just more, more about my kids now. I feel like I'm hijacking you with this question because I asked you earlier this year, but does John Jr. get angry on the golf course like you did throughout the course of your career? And if so, what do you say to him? Uh, hell yes, and I can't say anything because I, I did the same thing. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he says, Dad, he, a lot of times if he throws a club down, I'm sorry. I said, you don't apologize to me, son. It just shows you care. You can't you can't stop or you can't teach anybody, you know, that, that on a golf course. And, and I think the only way I can say is that, yeah, son, I, I, I hope you don't do it. I wish you wouldn't have done it, but you did it, and it, it shows me that you care. Well, John, I hope everyone walked away from this documentary knowing that you cared about your career, you cared about the fans. It's very impressive, very well done, and thank you so much for taking the time this morning. Good luck next season on the Champions Tour. Thanks, Rex. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a good day. You too. Bye. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Monday Scramble. Check back next week. Remember the Thai Cave Rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? 
these airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit airforce.com to learn more. How about Captain Crunch's crunch berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean Foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last crunch berry. No! No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. 